want you to pray for several. We know several that have lost loved ones this week, a friend of ours and one that our, that our church helped this past Christmas uh, has uh, now unfortunately passed away because of his illness. And so I want you to be praying for that family. Um, I want you to be praying for so many that are going through procedures, testing, uh, not, not just within our church, but in our, within our community and with our friend circle. And I'm sure that you have that friend circle as well. And so uh, I hope and pray that we can uh, be a church that is a praying church, that is one that lifts others up. Even when we don't feel like it, uh, we ought to pray. That's just like somebody said about mission support. Uh, when you think that you can't support anymore, take on two more and uh, watch the Lord work. You can't outgive him. You can't outdo him. And uh, so we do what the Lord asks us to do and to be a good church, to be a giving church, to be a faithful church, to be a respectful church, to be a hospitable church, to be a praying church. All of those things I believe the Lord wants us to be. And uh, so we're going to get back into the Word this morning. We're going to be back in the book of Colossians, this time chapter number 3. We ended in the first two verses of chapter number 3 last time. We're going to pick back up at the end of these verses here in just a second. But I want to take time to pray, to pray for you, to pray for me, to pray for our country, to pray for all of our churches, uh, to pray for um, faithfulness. We all need that in this challenging day. It's so easy to just stay home. And uh, I know that I've asked you to do that this time, uh, but I hope you're watching and listening this morning. The other thing I want you to do is to hit that share button again. Uh, it's easy to do. That's another way of witnessing, getting the gospel message out is sharing it with your friends. Because we all know there are people that you know, people that are in our families uh, that are not going to church this morning. And we're not going to church this morning, regardless of what the situation is or was. And so maybe this is a way uh, that we that we help them out and we get them to the point of hearing the gospel message preached of how we ought to be and, and what God's doing in our lives. So hit that share button. Folks, we had so many people online one day this week. It was just a, an amazing story to look at, uh, to see how many people we had on at one time. And so I don't, don't want to make that a, a, a point of, of accomplishment, but I want, what I want to make a point of accomplishment is that people hear the message and people hear the gospel. And if that means 10 are on, or if that means 100 are on, whichever it means, um, we sure would love to be have people hearing the gospel message. That's the, that's the goal of the church. Uh, Charles Spurgeon even said that that's the, it's the whole church's responsibility to preach the whole gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole people all the time. It's not just my responsibility, it's yours as well. And you can play a little part in that this morning just by hitting a button and uh, getting your family and friends on to hear the message. You pray as I pray this morning, and we'll see what the Lord has to say for us this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, I ask you for healing. First and foremost, in so many people's lives, we know that there are people hurting this morning from the loss of loved ones, from those that have gone on before us, missing people that have gone on before us, those that are sick, those that are uh, facing other illnesses outside this COVID world, procedures that are coming up, recovering from home, uh, trying to get to a place where they can recover. Lord, we ask for that healing this morning, for two in our church particularly, for John Davis and John Van Dyke. Father, we ask you to help them in their road to recovery. Lift them up, take care of their needs, heal their bodies, heal their minds and souls. And so, Father, we ask you this morning to meet them right where they're at. I know that you can. I ask you to help their families, their, their spouses, Lord, all of them that are going to be involved in the care for those people for our friends, for our church people, for your children, Father. Father, I ask you to, to meet them where they are. Lord, for those that are facing medical procedures in the near future, Father, we ask you to give them the peace and comfort that's necessary. Lord, that only you can give, and we ask for total healing as, as well there. Lord, for those that have lost loved ones, some we know this morning, so many that we know personally, Father, I ask you to meet them where they are. I know that I ask you to do that on a regular basis because I know that you can. And now, Lord, I pray that you will. Lord, I pray that they open their hearts and their minds and their bodies and their souls to you this morning, that, you'll, that they'll be able to see what you can do for them. And, Father, I ask you to meet with our church this morning. Walk up and down where they are in their homes, wherever they may be. Lord, put a hedge about this house. Put a hedge about this mouth, this body this morning, that it will be obedient to you and you alone that your word would be preached in truth and in the spirit of the Holy Ghost. Father, I ask you this morning, Lord, help my family. 
heal them physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, whatever might be necessary. And Lord, I ask you to heal our country. Lord, I ask this, do whatever it takes, knowing what that may include. Father, I pray that as we go through this together as a, as a church and as Christians, that you'll put a hedge about us as the wrath may come. Father, we know that you've said many things will happen. You've even said that it would, it would not even be the end yet. Oh, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. And I believe we're seeing it unfold before us, Father. And I pray, God, that you give us the knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of your word, that we know the truth in the day that we live, that we can share it with others. And Lord, now I hand it all over to you. This is your time, not mine. And I pray that I'm obedient to your calling and that you will be lifted up, that you will be glorified, that your word will be preached and people will be saved and helped. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it all. For it's in Christ's precious and sweet name that we pray. Amen. Colossians chapter number three, but of course, I'm going to go back and review for you. Um, we went through the, the do this and the do that, don't do that. We went through the, the, um, the, the established and, and seek and, and set our, our eyes and our hearts on the things that are above, not on the things that are over this earth. Uh, the prayers that Paul had for the church, the, bewa the bewares that, that Paul had for the, the Colossians, knowing that they were being bombarded with, by the religious crowd, being bombarded by the worldly crowd, the knowledgeable crowd of the, the Greek philosophies. And then, of course, we know that we need to wrap all of this in the preeminence and fullness of Christ. So I asked yourself, I asked you the last time, uh, how, do we, how do we deal with these troubles? How do we deal with these difficulties? How do we deal with these bewares and challenges of, of the mind and of the body and of the soul? Well... We have to do all that Paul is telling this church at Colossae. It is to put him first. It is to pray for each other in the church. It's to beware of the things around you. It's to not get caught up in the do this, don't do that, materialism, uh, ceremonialism, ritualism that's in the church. Our heart and our soul and our body and mind has to be set appropriately, set in place, set in the right place to do the right things. Uh, that's so important and so critical. So I ask you to do that. Um, and that's what Paul is asking you to do. It's what I'm asking you to do. It's what his word asks you to do. So we're going to make sure that we do that. Remember, established in the faith, seeking those things which are above and setting your heart on the things above. And that's what ought to fix it. So now we're going to change directions a little bit because, again, here's another encouragement or another step in the process of pushing through, handling the difficulties and the challenges, doing all the right things according to God's way, not our way. So where do we go from here? Well, we continue right on this journey in chapter number three. Last time we ended up in the which you also walked sometime when you lived in them. We know that we walked in disobedience in the past. We know that we had things that were of us and of the world and of sin. And those things, he says, we walked in those things in the past, but once we accepted Christ, we should have gotten rid of those things. We should have put those things in the past. We should have done away with all of those things. That's what we should have done. So I say this to you now as we begin to read in verse number 8 of chapter number 3, I want you to see this. We've got to change our wardrobe. We've got to put on some new things. We, got, we can't wear the same things that we used to. Now, you know, out of Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about the, 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 the body armor that Christ has given us, that, that the Lord has given us. The whole armor of God, he says, we have to put on completely and totally. Very important for us to do that. So I want you to see how this reads, and then we're going we're gonna to dig down into it. And it's, and it's, a, it's a fairly simple message. Uh, but it's not necessarily a simple thing to do. And so here we go in verse number 8 of chapter number 3. But now ye also put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye put off the old man with his deeds. We have to make a conscious effort. This is not something that's going to come natural. In fact, the opposite, or what he is saying, all of those things that he says to put off are what's natural. 
We have natural responses. We have just who we are as, as a sinful human being, meaning that we have the sin nature that's in us that erupts. Again, we go back to the, to the analogy of, of us as, as little kids. When I say little, I'm talking 12 months old, 18 months old, and all we want to do is hold on to everything for ourselves. We, we, we automatically have built within us selfishness. How many times have you heard a little one say, that's mine? And they want it, and they take it, and, and they'll fight for it. And then it, it, it carries on through life. You, you won't. Nobody taught you that. That was something that was inside of you. So all of these things that, that Paul is looking at at, at the, at the um, Colossians and saying, you've got to put off all of these. Now, let's just briefly look at each one of them. Anger. Folks, we live in a very angry world today. It takes nothing. The drop of a hat and somebody wants to fight. At the drop of a hat, somebody holds a grudge. At the drop of a hat, husband is angry with wife. Wife is uh, angry with the husband. Children are angry with their parents. Parents are angry with their children. And it goes on and on and on. But you can see many ways that the Lord is trying to tell us the anger has got to go. It's got to stop. This is not the first place that he tells us this, and I'm not going to get ahead of myself, but verse 21, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. I had to bring that one up, even though we haven't gotten to those verses yet, because it's, it's speaking to this one. And all of these verses that follow later will show us how to be the good husband, the good wife, the good children, the, the good servants, the good employees, all of these things are what the Lord wants us to be, but the world, oh, it influences otherwise. So we got to put off anger. We can't jump so quickly to fighting. And all you got to do is watch the news and see the, the, the fightings, the stabbings, the shootings, the road rage. I mean, all of these things are signs of the days, signs of the times that we're living. And apparently they were back then as well, but not to the, I don't guess not to the level to what they are today. But he says, put off all these, and the first thing he says is anger. Get rid of the anger. We have to learn to control ourselves. You and I have spiritual gifts. <coughs> you and I have internal abilities that we have to rely on. Some things we're strong at, some things we're weak at. And if anger is a weak point in your life, the only way that all of our spiritual gifts and that the only way that we can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord is to be is to do it with a spirit-filled temperament. What does that mean? Your strengths allow the Lord to maximize them, and you grow in them. But our weaknesses, you have to allow God to take over. You have to allow the Holy Spirit living inside of you to take over, and that comes down to anger. We can't control this ourselves. We have to allow the Spirit to move within us for this anger to go away. So here, number one, anger. Wrath. That's taking anger to another level. That's getting to the point of taking your anger and acting on it. It's one thing for me to be angry. The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. What does that mean? It means take your anger, funnel it, tunnel it away from what you or who you may be angry at, that the wrath may not come. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Get it out but do it in a very spirit-filled way, not in a very wrathful way. So wrath is just another level of anger. Malice, that's taking anger and wrath and then enjoying what you do to somebody else. I mean, it's even within our legal system that this word exists. It'll say second-degree murder with malice, meant to do it, enjoy doing it, desire to do it, not going to repent of doing it. And those are the things that we've got to get rid of. But can you not see, if it, was, if it was present then, how much more so those first three are present in the world that we're living in today? Anger, wrath, and malice. They're all cousins. One's more evil than the other, but they build upon each other. And that's what happens inside of us. We have something that happens and the anger builds. And then we release that anger in our wrath and then in that wrath, we take it to another level 
and enjoy what we did to somebody. I believe that's happening today. I mean, I know that, they, that there's different opinions on this thing in life called racism. And people believe it doesn't exist. People believe it does exist. I believe it exists. Because anytime that you have a partiality towards one versus another, when you have anger towards one particular race or another, that's racism. But I can tell you this, there's really only one race, and that's the human race. We're all one. We're all created in the image of God. And I'm going to step back and just say something here for a minute. Do you understand that the white race was not an issue during Jesus' time? didn't exist. It was all Middle Eastern. So for us to get on our high horse and to think that we're superior in any shape, form, or fashion is just ridiculous and it's unbiblical. So we can't do that. That's where anger, wrath, and malice just explode. So we got to stay away from that. And then, of course, blasphemy. Had this discussion this week with an individual. Said he had pushed God away, turned him back, turned him away. Didn't think that God would even bother with him anymore. And I looked at him and I tried to convince him that there is nothing that we can do to push God so far away that he, that he quits loving us, that, he, that he's going to deny us, that he's not going to accept us. But one thing, and the Bible is very clear, you have blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. You deny the Holy Spirit. Now keep in mind, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three but one, so you deny one, you deny all three. So if you get to a point in your life that you absolutely say God doesn't exist, Jesus doesn't exist, none of that happened, there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit living inside of me, you get to that point, you have committed the unpardonable sin called blasphemy. Blasphemy is denying that there is a God, denying that there is a Jesus, denying that there is a, a Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. The Bible even says in, in Romans, I'll go back and, and show you that, that folks, we stand without excuse. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. He's made it plain, the Bible says, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. To, to denounce God, to deny God, is to deny everything that you see. It's to deny even yourself. The Bible is very clear that we are made, Adam was made in the image of God. And so after that, anything that's made is going to carry that image along. Now, we are made in the image of Adam after the sin of Adam and Eve, meaning that we have a sin nature. We're no longer perfect. We're no longer sinless. We have an issue that's going to have to be dealt with, and God is dealing with it today. But you can't deny. You can't deny the holiness, the completeness, the universality of God over his people. That's blasphemy. Paul says that's got to go away. Oh, let me just get to this one here a minute, and I've got an itch. Filthy communication out of your mouth. Wow. That has become the, the language of the people these days. Cursing, or the southern way, cussing. Profanity. Allowing these words to get out of our mouth. Allowing them to explode. And most of the time, all that does is fulfill the desires of the flesh. It doesn't accomplish anything except denouncing the power of God in your life because you've allowed this filthy communication to come out of your mouth. And it's not, not just, it's not just, just uh, profanity. It's harsh words. It's, it's looking at someone and saying, you don't matter. That's about as filthy as it can be. It's looking at somebody and saying, I hate you. That's just as filthy as anything could be. So it ain't just the, the profanity. It ain't just the, the, the four-letter words. It ain't just all of those things that, that come out. But it's all filthy communication. Folks, I want you to know that the filthy communication of this world goes beyond 
verbal communication. I want you to understand, look at the communication industry of today. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, whatever, TikTok, oh my goodness. All the things that happened. I scroll through some of these things on Facebook and I get to one and I'm watching and all of a sudden there's the profanity and I turn it off. Shouldn't have allowed it to come in. But there it is. It's right in front of us. And we hear it. And they allow that to happen. Now here's the, here's the upside downness of the world that we're in. All of that's allowed. Every bit of it. But you pronounce something in the name of Jesus Christ and you get shut down for a while. You pronounce something that is truthful out of the Bible using God's word, using God's scripture, using God's methods and, and ways and they'll call it hate speech. But the profanity and the filthy communication that comes out of so many things in our social media world today is perfectly allowed. All that is is of the world. That's not of God. So the Bible says, the Bible says, we've got to get rid of these things. We've got to put off filthy communication out of our mouth. And it goes on, lie not one to another. Deception, deceiving, doing something to... Uh, cover up your wrong, doing something to cover up your, your, your anger, doing something to cover up uh, your sin. All that lie ain't nothing but something of the devil. He's the author of confusion. He's the greatest liar, deceiver that there's ever been. And in the beginning, he used deception, but all through time, he has used a lie. The, the, the Bible, I'm going to see if I can find it real quick. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm bad at not remembering exactly where scriptures are at. But uh, let's see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Anyway, he says that the devil himself uh, can come at you and that he can disguise himself and he'll look pretty and every, everything is, is going fine and, and he'll, he'll, he'll look at you. And it says here, For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. A lie. A point blank, bold face lie is what the devil's good at. So can you see that when we allow lying one to another to be something that we keep on our bodies, keep in our soul, keep in our, in our communication, that is, if we're lying to someone, all we're doing is being obedient to Satan. We're following right in his footsteps, doing exactly what he did in the past, carrying on his kingdom and not the kingdom of Christ. Lying one to another. That's what's got us in the place that we are today trying to deal with what we're dealing with with this virus. It's a bunch of lies, a bunch of deceit, a bunch of untruths, a bunch of mixing the truth. Just like the devil looked at Eve and said, Thou shalt not surely die. Now, he didn't exactly tell an untruth. Because let me ask you this question. Did Adam and Eve literally die the day that they took of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil? No. But they died spiritually. That's one thing that they couldn't see at the moment. So just as the devil uses a particular um, method of lying by not telling you the whole truth, that's what we do. And that allows us to try to cover up some things that we've done. So filthy communication, including lie not one to another. You've got to put that off. You've got to get rid of it. It's got to be gone. Seeing that you put off the old man with his deeds. Now that's man and woman. Man in the Bible. You've got to look at it to context. It's talking about humankind. Talking about the creation of God, of humans. So it's not just men. It's women. It's children. It's all of those that have a mindset where they know right and wrong. You know, there, there reaches a point in a, in a young person's life, and we call it the age of accountability. Now, that, that specifically applies to knowing that there's a God, but not accepting it. That age of accountability comes where they have to make a decision of whether they're going to follow after Christ or not. It comes at a different age. There's no place in the Bible that it says age of accountability. There's no place where it says that at this age you're going to become accountable for your decisions because people mature at different rates. But at whatever age, and really it's only between God and that person, at whatever age they become knowledgeable 
of, the, of, of good and evil, of Christ and not Christ, God and not God, the devil and Satan and all that there is of this world, once they know and feel within their heart that there is something that they now know that they've got to make a decision about, that is the age of accountability. And so just like you and I, when we realize that all of these things exist, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of our mouth, lying not one to another, seeing that we put off, we have to know that they exist before we know that we can put them off. We have to understand that we have these things. But so many times we deny it. So many times we even deny that we have anger. We deny that we have wrath and malice and blasphemy. And oh, we surely deny that we have filthy <coughs> communication coming out of our mouth. It's just it, that has become part of our part of our language. We don't even, they don't even it's just natural to people anymore, and it just comes out. We've got to understand first before we can put off any of these things that we've already got them on. We have to go into our wardrobe every morning. Whatever wardrobe you have, whether you have a closet, whether you have a uh, uh, whatever, a drawer, wherever you go get your clothes out every day, you make a conscious decision that you're going to take off what you have on and that you're going to put on something else. You decide what you're going to wear when you get up in the morning. Now, for, for some of us, I'll just use this as an analogy, doesn't take me long. When I worked in EMS, it didn't take me long at all. I put on the same thing every day, just a different, I mean, of course, it looked the same, but it was different shirts, different pants. But I put on the exact same shoes every day, put on the exact same belt every day, and I looked almost exactly the same every day when I went to work for 20 years. Um, it's called a uniform. I didn't have to make too many choices about what I was going to put on. When I come to church, really all I have to decide is what color my tie is going to be. That's the only decision I have to make. Occasionally a different color shirt than white. But I, you make conscious decisions. Now for others, I'll just use this analogy. For you ladies, it takes a little more time. You look at different things. This is just fact. And then you finally decide what you're going to put on. It doesn't take you long to decide that you're going to put off. But it does take you some time to figure out what you're going to put on. It's not always an easy decision because of all that you're being faced with. Now, I'm talking about spiritually now. I'm not talking about physically. But we do put on certain things based on what we're going to do. If it's cold outside, we put more, put more layers on. If it's warm outside, we put less on. We wear shorts and t-shirts and things of that nature. If it's cold outside, we put long pants on, a coat and a scarf and gloves and things like that. So we put on based on our circumstances. We put on based on the weather. We put on based on what we're facing. So we get to this place where we've got to learn to put off the old man with all of those deeds. And then in verse number 10, physically, we decide to put on some stuff. Number, verse number 10 says that our spiritual clothing, we also have to decide to put this on. It does not come natural. It will not come natural. You have to fight this every single day. You have to work hard for this every single day and have put on the new man. See, it's, it's not just that you're putting on clothes. It's not just that you're putting on attributes. It's not that you're putting on characteristics. It's that you are putting on a completely new person. When you accepted Christ as personal Savior, the Bible says that that old passed away and that all things became new. Colossians is taking it and putting it in a different perspective. It's saying now you have to make a conscious effort to put on the new man. I think that's a daily thing. That's not a once in a time thing. Yes, you became a new man. You put off the old and you put on the new at salvation and you were immediately saved, immediately justified and ready to go. But on a daily basis, you are now progressively sanctified, meaning there are certain things you're going to have to put on. And you're going to have to make an effort to put them on. You're going to have to make a decision to put them on. You're going to have to choose to put them on. And he says, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. See, it all goes back to the way God is. It all goes back to the way Jesus is. It all goes back to the image of God that is our standard 
It goes back to the image of God that we were created in in the beginning. But because of sin, we put on that old. We put on that sinful. We put on the wrong. We put on the bad. And now day in and day out, as a new child of God, as a converted person, as a regenerated person, as a born-again Christian, we have to decide to put on. And what we have to decide to put on can be boiled down to this. You've got to put on Jesus. You've got to put him on. Nobody else. You've got to put on what he looks like. You've got to put on what he sounds like. You've got to put on what he feels like. You've got to put on what he knows day in and day out. Put on after, in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. This is an action. This is a doing thing. This is not a complacent thing. This is not a let it happen to you thing. This is a conscious effort that you have to put forth every single day to put on the new and to make sure that you take off the old first. Covering up the old, not good. Covering up the way you used to be, not good. you got to put it off. It's got to go away. That wardrobe has to change. It has to stop being what you, who you are. Who you, you have to stop being who you were, and now you've got to become who you are in Christ Jesus. Put it off. It says in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is and, and in Christ is all and in all. Period. You've got to understand this, that you and I, doesn't matter who we are, whether we're an Israelite, whether we're a Jewish person, whether we are a, 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 a Russian, whether we're Chinese, whether we're Canadian, whether we're South African, whether we're Cambodian, whatever, the, I don't know. The, the issue here is that God doesn't look at us based on the color of our skin, on the, the accent of our voice, on the language that we speak. He doesn't look at any of that, the Bible says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, meaning that there's, there's no work involved with this when it comes to salvation, barbarian or Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So you've got to get that right first. You've got to realize that whatever you decide to put on, it has to be Christ. It has to be Christ-like. It has to be who he is. It says in the image, meaning that we can't be him, You'll never be Christ. You'll never be perfect. You'll never be able to act perfectly like him. But it says that we ought to have the image of who he is. We ought to have the idea of who he is. We ought to have the knowledge of who he is. How do we get that? We open up God's word. We pray. We ask God to show us, Lord, I need a new wardrobe. What am I supposed to put on when I get up in the morning? How am I supposed to act when I get up in the morning? What am I supposed to say when I get up in the morning? Who am I supposed to interact with when I get up in the morning? What am I supposed to put into these eyes and ears this morning? All of these things. We've got to get up and make a conscious effort to put on the image of Christ. Point blank. But then it gets detailed. Verse number 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God understanding that when you put these things on, that you're putting them on in the name and image of the God who saved you. You are the chosen, meaning that he, he chose the plan of salvation from the foundation of the world. He said that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I want you to know that that's not a Dwayne thing. That's a, that's a God thing. Peter brought it out. He says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. He's not willing that any of us perish. So we have to know that we have got to put on in the name of Christ, in the name of Jesus, the image of Jesus. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, the chosen of God, the saved of God, holy and beloved. Did you hear that? Holy and beloved. Bowels of mercy. 
What in the world is this talking about? My bowels. You have to have living inside of you this desire to have mercy. Does, it, does not come naturally. What comes naturally is revenge. What comes naturally is revolting. What comes natural is getting back. But the Bible says, as holy and beloved, we need to put on bowels, internal desires of mercies. Not just one, but plural. Day in and day out. Because God showed his mercy toward us. You think, you would think that as much mercy and grace as the Christian has been shown today, that he would remember what he came out of the day that he accepted Christ. You would think he would remember, she would remember what she did before Christ and what she or he does now and realize that at any moment in time they could have been wiped off the face of this earth. They could have been left to their own reprobate minds, the Bible says. But no, God in his mercy and in his grace came to where you were, changed you, accepted you, cleansed you, and made you a new creature. So the bowels of mercies that he had towards you, couldn't we, can we not return those mercies to others? It's amazing how we will gladly accept the mercies of others. How we will gladly accept the mercies of Christ when we do something wrong. But yet we are so quick to pull the trigger on others. To be ready to tell them how to fix it. To be ready to tell them what they've done wrong. To be ready to tell them that they must not be saved. That's exactly what they did to poor brother Job. They put on their righteousness and went after him instead of understanding the mercies of God that have been shown towards them, instead of doing that and then showing the mercies towards Job, in the beginning they did that. They mourned with Job. They kept silent with Job. But then, oh, they got on their high horse and said, oh, we know what Job has done wrong. He's done something terrible wrong. He has sinned a sin that has caused all of this to come upon him. And we know that that's not the case. we got to learn to show mercy one to another. These are such simple words. Listen to this. Kindness. Why is that so difficult in the day that we live? To just be kind. To just look at each other and say, you know, I love you. I don't agree with what you say. I don't agree with what you've done. But I still love you. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm not going to badmouth you on social media because you don't agree with everything that I say. I'm not going to go tell everybody else what our conversation was because I didn't agree with what you said. I'm not going to go badmouth you to others because of who you are, what you wear, where you go. I'm just going to love you. I'm just going to be kind to you. But we don't live in a kind world. That's why this is not going to be natural to us. That's why this is not going to be easy for us. Because we are surrounded by unkindness. We are surrounded by people being not merciful at all. In fact, the opposite. Ready to beat them up and beat them down and kick them and, and keep them down. But kindness. We have to fight that every day. Now, many times circumstances in which we are operating, living, and walking cause bad feelings, cause bad emotions, cause bad thoughts, cause angry thoughts. So you see how we have to learn to overcome them to now be kind? I mean, don't know any other way to say it, folks. The Bible says be kind. It says to have a humbleness of mind. Again, the world says be all that you can be. And you're the best. And you're the most. And you're the greatest. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You can have a million dollars if you have enough faith. That's the prosperity gospel that's out there. That God doesn't want you poor. That God doesn't want you without. Well, he doesn't. But he's also going to tell you to be content with what you have. He's going to tell you not to be covetous of other people's items. He's going to tell you not to be envious of other people's lifestyle. He's going to tell you to be who you are 
to be humble in who you are, to not be heady and high-minded, the Bible calls it, but to be humble. Not prideful. Go back to the book of Romans and you'll see that right in the middle of all the things that God says is bad is pride. You go back and look at the three things that destroy who we are as Christians and it's the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Humbleness of mind has to be elevated in our lives. Humbleness not just of, of action, but it has to be a mindset. And the only way that's going to be an action is for it to, to affect the mind and the heart first. And so this next one goes with it. Meekness. Meekness is not weakness. It's humility under control. It's, 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 it's being who we are according to who Christ was. Think of the way Christ walked this earth. It doesn't get any more humble or meek than coming to a young carpenter boy and young teenage girl riding on a donkey all through the desert land trying to find a place to stay and they said there was no room for them in the inn and they ended up in a stable with the, with the kid being born in a, in a manger. It doesn't get any more humble or meek than that. Joseph, when he was told he had to humble himself before an almighty God and not get angry because of the circumstances, to not get angry with Mary. Mary had to humble herself knowing that she was telling the truth when she said she had never been with a man and, and convincing Joseph through the power of the Holy Spirit to believe that. And then she had to humble herself before all the people. Humility and meekness neither show signs of weakness. In fact, they show signs of strength. That you've overcome the pridefulness in your heart and in your mind and in your life. We have to put these things on. These things have to be our new wardrobe. We have to be ready to go in and pick these out every day after we have put off all that was. And then long-suffering, meaning that we, we are patient with people. They may not change overnight. They may not be who you want them to be overnight. They may not be all the things that you've asked them to do and be. But you're going to have to wait. How many times have you prayed for somebody to come to the knowledge of salvation and for years they wouldn't long-suffering because our God is long-suffering? All of these things, if you put them in the picture of Christ, if you put a picture up of Christ, you will see that all of these describe who Christ is. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. What does this say? You're going to have to put up with some stuff. Now, that doesn't mean you've got to put up with abuse. It doesn't mean you've got to put up with, with a, a, a nasty mouth. It doesn't mean you've got to put up with people destroying you and cutting you down all the time. But what this means is that you do have to put up with some things. Believe me, Christ put up with a lot. He put up with people denying who he was. He put up with people calling him a liar. He put up with people saying that you're of the devil. And the only way that you're working these miracles is, it, is it that you're of the devil. And you know one of the greatest ways that Christ forbeared other people and put up with what they were saying? He turned and went the other way. He got himself out of that circumstance. He got himself out of that place. He retreated himself into the garden. He went away and he prayed to the Father. The way that he was a forbearing and forgiving person is that he put on the Father. He says, I'm about my Father's business. He says, I am my Father. If you've seen the Father, you've seen me. If you've seen me, you've seen God. So he had to put all of that on. The only way that he could forbear and forgive was to be who he was. And you and I, the only way that we can, the only way that we can put up with and even forgive some acts against us or against others or against our family or against our, our country or against the church or against the Christian is to put on the fullness of Christ. Forgiving one another. Boy, that's a hard one to do. Very hard to do. But as Christ forgave you and what you were, and all that you had done, and all that you are doing today, for if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. We go before him all the time asking for forgiveness of our sin. 
If Christ can forgive you for what you have done and what you are doing and what you will do, surely we can put on the fullness of Christ and forgive one another. I've seen it happen in, in court cases. A victim is murdered. The family looks at the one that did it and says, I forgive you. Now that is the power of Christ resting and living inside that individual. You will understand that some of these things are going to be very hard to put on. I'll give you some examples. There are some types of clothes that are very hard to put on. My coveralls, I have to wiggle my way into them. I have to get this arm in and this arm in, and then I jump and pull, and then I zip them up. And getting out of them is sometimes just as difficult to get out. I can remember working in emergency services, and I know this past week or so that we have gotten a, 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 a abundant number of people trying to put this fire out and they're putting on things that are difficult to put on. They're difficult to work in and they're difficult to get off sometimes. So you and I, we're going to find that we got to put some things off and some of them are going to be hard to, to take off. And we're going to have to put on some things that you're going to find are difficult to put on. If you don't know how to tie a tie, you're going to find it difficult to get this thing on. You'll find it easy to get off once you've got it on, but you'll have a hard time putting it back on. And that's the same way what we have with our spiritual life. It's going to be hard, to, it's going to be easy to put some things off, but it's going to be hard to put them back on, put the right things back on. Forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, if even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. You see here, he's not comparing what's right and wrong to what who Paul is. He's not saying that Paul has the right answers here. He's not saying that Paul is the right example here. Although he tells you to follow after him, but he tells you to follow after him only because of who he is in Christ. And he's saying the same thing here. As Christ forgave you, as Christ leads you, as Christ develops you, you also do. All of these things are easy or hard depending on who you are. It will be easy for some to put on the bowels of mercies. It will be very difficult for others. It will be very hard for some of you to be kind, but it comes naturally or more naturally to others. It will be diff difficult for some people to humble themselves just because of who they are. Others, it will come naturally. Meekness and long-suffering, again, difficult for some, easier for others. Forbearing and forgiving. Some people have just an, an amazing ability to just say, I, I forgive you. And they just they move on. They, 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 don't, they don't blink an eye. But others, take some years. And some people today, have yet to forgive others for something that happened decades ago. And all that is doing is poisoning the person that is unforgiving. It's destroying relationships, but it's poisoning the person that will not give forgiveness. All of these things we have to do as Christ did them, not as us. And he gets to this last part, and I want you to see this. What is all this bathed in? Yes, it's bathed in Christ, but who was Christ? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loved us well before we ever thought about loving him. So everything that Christ ever did, everything that God has ever done, even his wrath, folks, even his punishments, it's all been wrapped in love. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, completeness. Not the first time this has been said. Won't be the last. <coughs> Let me get there. First Corinthians chapter 13. 
Paul looks at the Corinthians and he says, Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am becoming a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Do you understand that you can put off all that we talked about and that you can put on holiness, belovedness, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing, forgiving. You can do all of that. But if you're not doing it out of your heart and love for the other person, says you are a sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. You're doing it for the noise. You're not doing it for the right reasons. He says, and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, he says, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to, to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. That's without pride, by the way. Doeth not behave itself unseemly, seeking not her own. Is not easily provoked, thinking so evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away with. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things, put off. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. And now about a faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And above all things in verse 14 it says, put on charity. Put off the hatred. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you were called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wrap it all up in love. Wrap it all up in charity, the Bible says. That's not a free will of giving. Giving. Charity in the Bible, in the context, is referring to love. Who you love, how you love, why you love. You love unconditionally, by the way. It doesn't require somebody to do something for you before you'll love them. You love them despite them. You know what I mean by that? They don't have to be nice to you. They don't have to be good to you. They can keep on all of these things that we had to put off. They can have wrath. They can have anger. They can have malice. And yes, even they can blaspheme the name of Jesus. You're not to get angry with them because of that. You're to get concerned. Yes, it makes me mad that people mock Jesus, mock the Bible. I'm mad at the devil. I'm mad at untruths. I'm angry with the world. I have all of these things just like you do. But for the world to be able to see Christ the way that he is and the way that he presented himself on Calvary, he turned and looked at all of them and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This world literally, truly, in many ways, has no idea what it's doing. They have no idea what they're, what they're in for. But that did not take away the love of Christ for them. It did not take away his desire for them to be forgiven of the Father. And we're to put on the same thing, it says. We're to put on, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And the way that he forgave you is that he loved you despite you. 
and despite who you are and despite what you've done and despite what you will do. I told this gentleman that I was talking with, God has not left you even though you may have turned away from him. And the only way, the only way, and it's not in God's anger that he does it, it's in God's, God's truths. It's in his law. It's in his way. And he's not going to change the rules along the way. You continue to deny him. You continue to denounce him. And you continue to say that he doesn't exist. He'll love you, but he'll also punish you. We have choices, but we do not, be, we do not have the ability to choose the consequences of our choices. God has set the record straight. He has established punishment for the wrong. And he's established reward for the good. He's established eternity in either direction. It's not going to, if anybody in this world goes straight to hell, it ain't because God didn't love them. It all has to be wrapped in love. Even God's wrath is wrapped in his love. Even all that he says that will be bad one of these days, the destruction that is coming, the terrible things that are going to happen on this earth, and the terrible things that are going to happen to people one of these days. God is trying right now in his love and in his mercy and in his grace to keep it from happening. He is willing that none should perish, the Bible says. You and I, as a Christian, to get the gospel message out to people has to be able to see Christ in us. And so our wardrobe has to change. We can no longer get up in the morning and put on the same spiritual person that was before we accepted Christ. You can't do that. You can't get up and put on the old nature anymore. But yet we try to let that happen. We're, we don't want to let go of that favorite sweater, I guess. We don't want to let go of that piece of us for whatever reason. And we keep putting it on every day. We keep dressing up as a Christian every day, but yet we've got this one thing stuck in our pocket that we just can't let go of. But Christ says we've got to put it all off. The mercy and grace of God did it for you. Why in this world can't we do it for him and for others? And what's and the reason I'll tell you the reason why. We haven't learned to live a spirit-filled life. Our tanks are only half full some days of the spirit. Our tanks are getting close to empty some days when it comes to the spirit. And then occasionally we're right there almost to that full limit. But most of the time, we're, we're trying to fill our tank or let it go empty. Just, listen, just as you maybe allow the light to come on before you visit that gas station, that happens in your spiritual life too. You get so empty of the spirit until it gets to the warning stage that if you don't fill it back up with the spirit of Christ, you're going to allow this nature to come out of anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lying one to another. we got to constantly wake up in the morning and put on Christ, put on the things of God, and make sure that our spiritual tank is full of Him, not of this world. You can read throughout the scriptures, especially in the book of John, about the difference between us and this world. The world hates you because it hated Christ. But you can't hate it back. Because Christ, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if we're going to put on Christ and be like Christ, we cannot fight hate with hate. We cannot fight lies with lies. We cannot fight anger with anger. We can't allow the anger that's in us to become wrath and malice. Because that's not Christ. Where did Christ get angry? What did he get angry at? 
Did he, get, did, did he get angry with the people that were trying to hear him talk? No. Did he get angry with the woman at the well? No. Did he get angry with the woman in a, caught in adultery? No. Did he get angry with Jairus for coming and saying, save my daughter? No. Did he get angry with the people when, he, when they presented to him that Lazarus was sick and, and then he's dead? Did he get angry? No, he wept. The very opposite that we would have expected that Christ would have done, the opposite happened. Did he get angry with Zacchaeus for being up in that tree trying to find him? No, he says, come down. He says, because I'm going with you today. Christ didn't show anger for those people. He didn't show anger for those trying to seek him out. He showed anger for those that were trying to push the Father out. He showed anger in the temple when they set up the, the, the sanctuary of God as a place of business. And he turned the changing tables over and he rebuked them for what they had done. He really, if you think about it, when, when, when Christ was taken into the mountain and tempted by the devil in John chapter number four, this is right after the, the, the scene of Nebuchadnezzar, um, Nicodemus in the in the garden. He gets taken up into the to the wilderness, the mountaintop, tempted by the devil. He didn't really get angry at the devil. What did he do? He quoted the word of God back in his face. He said, This is what the Father has to say about what you're saying. Now did he get angry at the devil? Yeah. When Peter Right after he told me, he said, looked at Christ and says, you are the Christ. And then the next words out of Peter's mouth were of the world and of the devil. And, and he looked at him and said, get, get thee behind me, Satan. Get out of here. Christ knew how to control his anger. He knew how to direct his anger in the right direction. He got angry with the religious crowd. He got angry with those that were against his father and defaming his father's house. But all other times, Christ was about love. Even when Peter cut the ear off of that Roman soldier, he didn't get angry. He just said, Peter, put your sword up. And in his compassion and in his love and in his divine power, healed the very soldier that was going to take him away. We have to put on, therefore, as the elect of God, and doing it all, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. <coughs> it's time to do some spring cleaning on our wardrobe and get rid of some things and put on the new. Put on Christ. Put on who he is. Put on what he is. Put on what he wants us to be. I hope you get this today. The title of today's message was A New Wardrobe. It's time for us to go on a spiritual shopping spree. Father, we love you this morning. I ask you now to just take these words. They were yours to begin with. I truly believe that. As all of these messages have been brought forward, I give you thanks and I give you praise. I give you all the credit. For it was all about you. And I pray, God, these messages are life-changing for all of us as a church, as a people. That they come back to memory. That we don't just hear them and then go about our business. Just as this <coughs> message says, that we put on and put off. And maybe even in the reverse, put off and then put on. Not to cover up the old, but to replace it with the new. Lord, help me. Only you and I know my heart and the sin that's in my life, the choices that I have made. And I just ask for your forgiveness. And Lord, I plead that for all that are watching and listening, that they'll reach out to you and ask for forgiveness, change directions, change their focus, change their wardrobe. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory for it all. For it's in Christ's precious and sweet name that we pray. Amen. Well, folks, uh, 
Hope you've been blessed today with this message. We will be back tonight, and we will carry on in Colossians chapter number 3. That message is already ready. And I'm going to spend a little time today reading on it a little bit. Um, so you pray for me tonight. I'll pray for you. But we'll be back right here at 6 o'clock tonight. Make sure you ask your friends and family to come and join us. Send the messages out. And all of these messages are on our YouTube channel where you can go see every single one of them easily without trying to search through Facebook. You can send somebody to our YouTube page and they're all right there. All in order. All you got to do is click on them and listen. Now I hope you do that. Share the gospel message through whatever means you have possible. And I believe God will bless you. So now we're going to go about our way today. And I pray for you. And I want you to pray for my family. We'll give him all the praise for he deserves it all. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.